indeed, we have been living through crazy times. We have been going through a worldwide pandemic uh, and all of the, the health and economic ramifications of it. We've experienced uh, extreme racial injustice and the, the protests and then the riots and the destruction of, of, of property and all that followed with that. And, and we're about to enter into a very contentious um, presidential election. Now, in any normal year, any one of those topics would just dominate the news cycle. We have managed to jam all three of those into six months. And it, it is, has been just a, a, a crazy time to, to see life. And as we have been enduring this, a, a bigger problem, I think, is arising in our culture. And that's that there has begun to be, or, or has not necessarily begun, has, has become more and more apparent that our culture is becoming increasingly polarized. That, it, that evidently, that in every situation, there's two sides to take. And we're supposed to take one of those sides without questioning. And then everybody else on the other side, we're supposed to see as evil or stupid or villainous. And that's the, the narrative that we've been handed, that, that we're supposed to play along with. So how are we supposed to respond to that? Well, there's nothing new under the sun, and, and, and Jesus' time was equally as polarized and divided as our time. If, if you don't know much about biblical history in, in Israel, in those days you had, you had extreme polarization of political parties amongst the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were constantly battling for who would have control of the Sanhedrin and therefore over the Jewish people. You had Roman sympathizers that were profiting off of, the, off of the, the nation of Rome. And then you had those that wanted to instigate a revolution that couldn't hate Rome. They were constantly trying to, to start a, a battle. You had extreme racism in their time between Jews and, and Samaritans. You had, you had terrible sexism as it was a brutally male-dominated society and women could barely find their place there in that society. It was an extremely divided times. And it's into that divided environment that Jesus submits to powerful words in the opening of his prayer our father our father and i submit to you church that in those two words we learn something amazing about how jesus moved and operated in divided times and in that is our lesson that we need to begin to take and so i want us to zero down onto those two opening words our father it should not be lost on us that Jesus actually called God Father in that moment. Not only did he call God Father in that moment, he was teaching the thousands of people on the mountainside that they too could call God Father. This then is how you should pray, he says, our Father. And this is huge. I don't know if you know this, but up until this moment in Scripture, no one has ever addressed God in Scripture as Father much less taught anybody else to, teach, to, to address God as Father. In fact, in Jewish culture, they would not even say the name of Yahweh. He was seen as this fearful God, up, up on his, uh, fear, worthy of fear God, up on his throne, that he was unapproachable except for by the most holy of holies and, and all these rituals you had to go through. And certainly God was that, but Jesus does something profound here. He, he, he brings in a theological shift in how mankind can now relate to God because how God has chosen to reveal himself to mankind. He's coming as Abba, 
the Greek word for, for not even the formal word of father. I don't know how many of you call your dad father, right? Unless we're talking about him, maybe my father. But when you're calling him, most of us call him dad. The Greek word he uses there, Abba, is a much more familiar firm, probably more like dad. And so God is, our, Jesus is actually teaching that we have the right to approach God calling him dad. And that is huge. That is huge. It, 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 it represents a theological shift and how mankind can, can see and approach God. And, and he's speaking, foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do on the cross and when he tears down the veil that separates sinful man and Father above, that we can now call him Dad. Now, for many of you, that word is a loaded word, Father. Like me, you, you probably carry some wounds. Some of you do. Some of you had excellent fathers, and you're missing them in that season. The word's hard. Some of you, like me, have dads that you love, but, but their sinfulness spilled over into your life, and that hurt much, greatly. And so approaching God as Father can be difficult. But I love the caveat on this. He says, our Father in heaven. Mean, meaning this is not an earthly Father. Th- this, this is a Father on a, du- on a different level. He's an eternal Father. He will never leave us or abandon us or go anywhere. He's a perfect Father. He will never disappoint us. He's a merciful, gracious Father who will never abuse us or hurt us. He is a heavenly Father. He's on a different level, and there's an invitation there. And this is, I don't know how you see God. It is easy for us in times like this to kind of shift and and to see God in different ways. But, But Jesus teaches a profound truth here that we have the ability to see God even in the middle of these chaotic times as Abba, as Dad. But as profound as that is, as beautiful as that truth is, so too is the word that precedes that in our text. Our father whose father is god whose father is god not not just mine he doesn't say my father in heaven in fact you want to know something interesting about the lord's prayer nowhere in the lord's prayer will you find a single first person pronoun in other words there is no me i or my anywhere in the prayer it is all plural we our us. In other words, when Jesus is teaching people to pray, he is not teaching them to pray as individuals before Father, but as people, a part of a much larger family together before God. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father. There's a beautiful lesson of that. You think about how we in a very individualistic society typically pray. If you were to go open up my prayer journal and begin reading, there's a whole lot of first-person pronouns in there, right? I, me, my. And Jesus has put that to death. The, the way into the kingdom is to die to self, to see yourself as part of something much bigger. And so whose Father is this? It is our Father, he teaches. Our Father. Which is, which is, which is huge. Listen to how... how uh, Paul prays in, in Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians three fourteen. Here's what he says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Let me repeat that. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family, some families, particular families, Families of certain races, families of certain socioeconomic class, families of certain educational level, families who's, who don't have any, any, any criminals in their family. Is that what it says? Is there, do you hear any caveat on that? No, it says 
every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Whose father is God? Every family in heaven and on earth can trace their direct lineage back to the same source. Father God. And that's huge. We begin to see a theological truth of how Jesus moved and interacted with a very divided culture. That Jesus saw an identity much deeper than we as humans see. He saw something at the very core of every person. He knew a truth because he was there when it happened. That every human was made with the image of God imprinted on their soul. That they are a child of God. One of my favorite movies is the movie Shrek. And I have been told that when I'm hungry and are tired, I resemble Shrek somewhat. It's true, so I can't take offense to it. One of my favorite scenes in, in the movie is when Shrek's walking along and he's explaining himself to the donkey. And he says, donkey, ogres are like onions. And the donkey says, they stink? And he says, no, they have layers. And I love that explanation because I think that's true of humans as well. We have layers. You, you think of all the layers of things that we, we use to, to build our own sense of identity and the identity of those people we see. Think, think about what makes up your identity, your childhood, your race, your culture, where you grew up, where you live, your job, your possessions, your politics, your religion, your friend group, your family now, your family of origin. You think about all the different things, what you drive, the clothes you wear, all the different things that we use when we meet somebody to begin to build a sense of their identity. And as important and valuable as those are that, that might explain much to us about a person, there is one truth. You rip away all of those outward layers, and guess what you find as the core identity of every single person? You remove the layers, and we all have the exact same identity, child of God. Child of God. And this is what is huge about Jesus Christ. You want to see how Jesus interacted with every single person he met is that he chose not to interact and deal with them solely based on their outward identities, on the outward layers. He decided to treat every person with the dignity and grace that their most base identity demands. If they are a child of God, then therefore they are my brother and my sister, and they are worthy of my respect and be, to be treated with dignity. Every person. Go through the story. You know it to be true. The woman caught in adultery is dragged at Jesus' feet, and culture tells Jesus that she is dirty, she is a sinner, she deserves to be treated with judgment. Jesus treats her with dignity and grace and restores her back to life. The tax collector, Jesus is told, because of his job should be hated, that he's a friend of Rome, that he, he cheats people, and therefore Jesus should judge him and shun him. What does Jesus do? Jesus could care less what culture said his identity was. Jesus went and had dinner with them at his house. Zacchaeus, Levi. The woman who, who tears open the alabaster jar and pours it out over Jesus' feet, the culture tells them, Jesus, that, that, that she's a prostitute, that, that if he knew who she was, she, he wouldn't let her touch him. But, but Jesus looked down and he blessed her. The Roman centurion, Jesus, was told that because of his job, he should be feared and hated. Jesus blessed him and healed his daughter. 
You can go story after story. Nicodemus and, and Simon, Pharisees who opposed Jesus, and Jesus knew that their political party opposed him, and therefore culture would say that he should hate them and be in opposition towards him. What does he do? He sits down and has dinner with them. You can keep going story after story. The leper, Jesus is told, is untouchable because he's, a, he's dirty. Jesus reaches out and touches him. And he heals him. The Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus is told that she's a Samaritan, which is an inferior race. And as a superior race in Jew, he should look down and not, not even interact with Samaritans. Much less that she's a woman. And he's told that by his culture that as a man, he's far superior to her. What does Jesus do? He treats her with dignity and grace. The men that nailed him to a cross. Culture says, those are your enemies. You should hate them. What does Jesus do? He prays for them. And the man on the cross beside Jesus. Culture says that he's a thief and is deserving of the judgment he is getting. What does Jesus tell him? Today, you are with me in paradise. Oh, church, we live in a divided time. In a time where culture would tell us that we ought to interact with everybody based off of their outward identifiers. That we should be divided according to our outward identifiers. And into his divided time, Jesus decided not to play by the, by the identity politics of this world, but by the identity politics of the kingdom of God. And what does the identity politics of the kingdom of God says? Oh yes, we will judge everybody by their identity. And their identity is found in two words, our Father. And in a divided time, Jesus walked with everyone, regardless of how they treated him, regardless of who they said they were or what the world said they were. He treated everyone with dignity and love and gentleness, even when they were responding harshly to them. Why? Because of two words, our Father. Now, church, how are you and I to move in or interact in these times? See, everybody that Jesus chose to interact with on their base identity, he was also inviting them to begin to live out of that same base identity, that they are a child of God. And so the woman at the well, the woman caught in sin, Nicodemus, the man on the cross, they all changed their identities on those days because how Jesus treated him. I submit to you, church, that we have a calling in a divided time. And our calling is to let the great two words of Christ ring out like an echo over a divided world, to invite everybody back under the same tent that says it doesn't matter the outward identifiers. There is an identity that runs much deeper, and that is that you are a child of God, our Father. I want to give you a sense of an invitation tonight that if you're here and you don't see or approach God like a father, I want to invite you to change that tonight. Maybe there's a multitude of reasons of why that is. I want you to hear Jesus inviting you to the same thing that he invited the people on the hillside, outdoors, 
on that day. Letting them know he was ushering in something new. No more was it a kingdom of haves and have-nots. This was an equal opportunity kingdom. That it wasn't just people of high class that get to call upon God. It wasn't just the priestly with the right robes and the right kind of life that get to call upon God. He looked out to the thirsty and the hurting and the sad and the broken and he spoke two words, our Father. And it was an invitation. Can I invite you to do the same? Tonight, hear God of the universe, the King of the universe, saying, come, come and call me dad and know I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you, that I'll be with you every step of the way. No pandemic, no racial hurt, no sense of injustice, no earthly election can ever change that identity. You are my child. In the church, I want to offer another invitation as well. I want all of us to feel the invitation to live life like Jesus. More than the invitation, I want to feel the weight and the call and the need to live life like Jesus in this divided world. Maybe tonight you need to repent because you have chosen to operate off a divided identity. That you've chosen to see people with eyes that their identity would demand that you would change that you've judged, you've seen people as evil or, or stupid or any of those things. And to each of us that have played into that, we all have. We have Jesus' example screaming back at us of a new way that the gospel creates. So I want to invite you into living out the echo of the Our Father into the world in the weeks ahead of us as we enter into politics and things get more and more divided, could you commit that regardless of what political stance you have, and that is yours, that you will treat everyone with love and dignity. That you will be a, a respecter of God's identity that is stamped onto the soul of the person that you might disagree with. It's hard. It's hard, but that's our calling. May the Our Father of Jesus Christ spoken on a mountainside echo through his church body once again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy to get to use those two words to call you Heavenly Father. Thank you for this invitation to step into that kind of relationship with you. For my brother or sister here, God, that hasn't known that about themselves, that has never seen themselves truly as your child, would you speak down into their heart, Jesus? Would you do your gracious, miraculous work in pulling them back into that identity of who you made them to be? May we leave this place with this, this deep sense of identity that we are your child and a part of a much larger family. Abba, Father.
And God, I pray that you would empower your people to move and act in this divided time when the enemy would love nothing more than to see us bite and devour one another. Spirit of God, would you fulfill Jesus' prayer in John 17 that we would be united, God, as you are united in one. We'd be united under this sense that we all belong to you. Empower us, God, to, to love as you love, to treat people as you treat people, Jesus. Use us to invite people to step back into their core identity, who you made them to be. God, we're so thankful to be able to worship you tonight. We just sit under the banner of your great name. As Jesus says, hallowed be your name. We just sit under the banner of that. Children of the mighty King. Father, wipe away the fears and the anxieties the worries and the hurts, speak down to us. We glorify your name together.